you're listening to the podcast version of our video series, Unmuted, the place where we talk to industry leaders in the marketing and events world, all about the best tips and advice on how you can run better online events. This very first episode is with our head of marketing, Jack, and he's speaking with content powerhouse, Melanie Diesel, all about how you can create better content that captivates. Hope you love it as much as we do. Delighted to have on on the show, Melanie. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I thought it'd be great to start with kind of a conversation around engagement. So it's one of the biggest challenges that the event and online event industry has faced this past year as people have pivoted to online events from physical events. They've suddenly been presented with a challenge of having this data around, you know, how many people are clicking, asking questions. Um, and typically what we hear back is that the engagement rate is low, interaction is low. Um, and I, I feel like maybe one of the, um, uh, one, one thing that people try and reach for is like the bells and whistles, the tools, the extra tips and, and tricks to, to add in a, um, extra feature to the event where they're not maybe focusing on the actual content itself. So I thought that'd be a really great place to start and, and maybe talk about some processes that people can start to get those ideas for the, for the content and, and where they should hone in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can tell you as the person who's sometimes standing on stage waiting for someone in real life to raise their hand and ask a question that I haven't found folks to be less engaged online. I felt found the opposite personally, um, but I definitely see the challenge, right? We're not able to see the feedback directly, uh, the cheering, all of that, that gives us those, those feel-good endorphins to feel like things are working. So uh, I can definitely see that fear. And I think you're absolutely right that a lot of it comes down to the content itself. You know, when someone is in person at an event, you're only competing with the other sessions there and maybe a conference call back home, right? Between getting someone into the room. When someone's still at home, there's a lot more competition, right? They're they're choosing between putting their attention in work, putting their attention on Netflix, on their phone, playing Candy Crush. Uh, so there's, there's a lot more competition for their attention. And so on some level, the bar has been raised in terms of how engaging and how valuable that content needs to be to earn a spot in their you know, work from home day. And I think one of the ways we can focus on that is by really emphasizing tactical uh, benefits that come from each session. So this is something we do sometimes in the in-person event space where you have your event description and then you have sort of the the key takeaway bullets, right? People will know how to, they will understand, uh, et cetera. I think that's something we need to focus on a bit more in in, in in the hybrid and online event space because we need to really prove our case to this is where you should spend an hour of your day, uh, you know, instead of doing your, your work from home uh, you know, tasks. So I think it's a, it's a bit of a higher bar, but if we can really focus on that value on what it is that the audience is going to get from the content that we're bringing, uh, I think that's a better way to kind of catch the, catch their eye. Yeah. Yeah. I guess really focusing on that value and there must be a lot of audience insight and, and research that needs to go into that, that planning phase of what the focus of of the content needs to be, you know, in, in your book, yeah. it talks about focus and format, kind of yeah. creating that content idea. And in some ways, and we can maybe talk about the format a bit later, but with a virtual event, um, maybe rightly or wrongly, there's, you know, there are maybe some, some set formats that people go down and 
there are other ones yeah. that haven't been explored but the focus is is sometimes it's it's maybe either too narrow to what the business does or it is very business focused and not audience focused and i think that that's got to probably be the one key change that if you're not getting that engagement you probably need to revisit what that focus of your content is and, and make sure it's on the audience side rather than internal yeah exactly that's so that's something that's sort of intrinsic for me i came from the journalism world and so our you know our focus was always on what does our audience need to know what questions is our audience asking how can we provide value to our audience because you know the audience was our bread and butter and so that's that's sort of how we were trained to to focus our attention on on what the audience needs most and i think it's very easy when you're working in sort of a brand or a marketing capacity to forget that because we have our own priorities the things that we want to emphasize the sponsors that we need to make happy the limitations of our of our physical space or of our you know whatever we're working with of our resources Resources. And so it's easy to kind of lose sight of that in the process. So uh, one of the questions that I've used in journalism that maybe it'll be useful uh, for some of you as you're planning out your, your content agendas is asking, why should our audience care about this topic specifically? And so making it as specific as possible, not just because they like business or because they are real estate agents, but really honing down this specific topic is value, valuable to them, why? because it's going to help them increase the number of leads, which is going to help them grow their business. Okay, that's a real value proposition, right? So really asking that, why should our audience care about this specifically, kind of helps you put that audience back at the center and make sure that you're emphasizing the audience-centric parts of it uh, to help attract their attention. Yeah, totally. And maybe to build on that, why they should be specific about that, that interest, there's perhaps some, some time specificity built in there like why should they be interested and why should it be valuable to them now because if I think about an event it is it should maybe be topical and relevant to what's going on as opposed to an ebook which can perhaps be uh, longer ranging and 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 evergreen is the you know is a content term whereas an event I think maybe one of the the special qualities of an event is like today we're, we're live and we can react to what's going on we can react to questions that come in um, but also re react to what's trends are happening and, and be able to talk to those so perhaps for the event that should be something specific to focus on too absolutely and i think that for different industries that might mean different things you know if you're working in an industry that has some sort of seasonal or cyclical nature to it that's important to acknowledge in the event right knowing what your audience is doing are they building up their business are they doing end of year financials are they preparing for the holiday season uh, are they in a you know a down a down Point. Are they in a lull in their business? And you need to be aware of that as well. Uh, so understanding that time element and, and how relevant it is in the moment is really key, especially from a pre-event marketing standpoint, helping people understand, you know, don't just go to the next one. Don't just watch the recap. You know, don't just read the blog post. You need to be there now. You need to have this information because it's relevant to you now. That time element, I think, is really key. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that phrase there, you know, don't just read the blog post and, and it's potentially the the content, but also maybe it's something new for, for presenters. I feel like virtual events, online events have opened up online present, presentations to audiences to a much wider pool of speakers. And you're gonna have yeah. the people that did it really well at physical events and can translate that online, but they're also gonna be missing that interaction. Like you mentioned at the start, that, that feedback, even just seeing people, you know, maybe look up from their mobile phones 
um, heaven forbid, yeah. uh, and engage with you as a, as a speaker, that's something that's great. But you've also got people who main role isn't being a presenter and suddenly they have the tools at their literally at their fingertips to, to yeah. present and, and to speak to an audience. And I think, yeah, it's getting those people maybe um, interested and their content honed around, okay, it's not just repurposing a blog post into a spiel for in front of a camera. It's, right. it's that conversation piece that we're having. It's maybe interaction with the online audience. It's reacting to something that, you know, wouldn't be interesting next week, but is like so hot and relevant right now. It's, it's kind of yeah. taking those approaches to it and, and something that I know that people that we speak to, they have challenges with, you know, the different levels of the speakers and the different kind of comfort levels with the technology and yeah. experience levels. And I think at the heart of it, the, if, if someone can be really confident in their content, then hopefully that gives them the confidence to, okay, right, that is nailed. I now need to, well, learn how to pronounce. Performance. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. You've got the tricky words to master. You've got the um, eye contact with the camera, not looking down at the notes down there and, and all those type of things. It's, it's a kind of a whole package deal. Yeah, it's definitely a very different experience. And, you know, depending on the type of audience I'm working with, you know, for context, I do a tremendous amount of virtual presenting. I've been teaching in an online environment for years before COVID uh, came to us all. So it's it's something that's very familiar for me. And I find that sometimes it's it's best to address that if it's an audience that you're comfortable with. Uh, maybe not in a massive stage environment, but if it's some sort of smaller environment to say, hey, look, you know, you guys get to look at me and look at the slides for the next two hours. I'm going to be looking at that tiny green dot. So if you could give me some energy in the chat, if you could, you know, try to respond in the chat or, you know, answer our poll questions or whatever it is, uh, help me know that you're here, that you're engaging and that you're enjoying this uh, so I can keep my energy high for you. Um, I do think that, you know, you're totally right that there are a lot of speakers who, you know, they're used to being in an in-person environment. They need that energy. They're extroverts. They feed off that in-person energy. Um, and maybe they're not as tech savvy. You know, maybe they weren't prepared to set up a home studio to be doing this kind of thing. Uh, and you can't fault them for that. You know, that's a lot of teachers and professors were caught in the very same uh, crossfire, you know, spending 20, 30 years teaching in person and all of a sudden they've got to figure out how to host a Zoom room and, and you know, post polls and things or whatever. And that's just like, that's not their strength, you know? So there's definitely something of value to doing tech checks with your speakers, uh, to asking about their familiarity with various tools that you may be using, um, and to doing a check to understand, you know, what's the quality of, of light, of sound, and all of that. You know, one of the things I do, you'll notice I'm wearing this, you know, air traffic control headset. Um, I know that it doesn't look as polished as some of the speakers who may have like a fancy lapel, but I find that the sound is top notch out of this compared to some of my other options. So when you're doing those tech checks with speakers and they're getting more comfortable, uh, you can have more confidence that they are going to be more confident. And so I think that process is a little bit more important than it probably was before. You know, I can't remember too many in-person events where I had to get mic'd up, go up on stage, run through my slides in full. Like that's not what we're usually used to in an yeah. in-person environment, but it's different virtually. And so there's also a lot of value uh, if you have the option of having an expert in virtual presenting, partnering with your event to help those speakers who, as you mentioned, may be less comfortable. I've seen a lot of value in, you know, pairing folks up or having them do run throughs with other speakers, uh, just giving them access to the kind of resources to say, 
look, we know you may not have developed your slides for the, the online environment. We can help you. We have a, a designer who's willing to help, you know, adjust to make it more, uh, you know, virtual friendly. And so helping those speakers uh, with any content challenges they may have about presenting virtually is a really good way to ensure that they're going to bring their A game and that that's going to ultimately benefit your audience. Yeah, I really like that aspect of thinking about the content as not just what you're saying, but the capability to to say it technically wise and, and you know the the skills wise, like the technical side of things is is a, a huge ch challenge. You know, yeah. And I think everyone everyone will have a you know at this at this time where everyone will have a meeting where someone is talking for 20, 30 seconds and everyone else is saying you're on mute. Like you're on mute. Hello, you're on mute. Jack, Jack, you're yep. on mute. So, you know, it happens even it happens even even now. And yeah. like hence the name of unmuted is like it became a bit of a, a catchphrase, didn't it? That you that you you need to unmute yourself. So it felt apt to be to be bringing it into this kind of show. Um but yeah, that's a really interesting take on the fact that yeah, to be a real partner, you can really help someone get comfortable with the tech you know, do some run-throughs. I really like the design idea as well, taking the slides and 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 maybe as well as designing the slides, it's it's identifying the extra tools that whatever platform has to offer. So, you know, oh, on this, you know, you might be on stage and you might be asking people to raise hands. Well, in this scenario, it's a it's a poll, it's a one-click poll, right. or they might use Slido. I love I love seeing Slido. Like I like the interaction of seeing how people vote for things, and you can see them move up and down. That kind of really. Um, speaks to my type of interaction personality or, or whatever, but that type of engagement with the rest of the audience, you know, you feel more, I feel more part of something when you can see the results coming in in real time. So, yeah, identifying those opportunities from the slides, if it's a new speaker who's, you know, someone who just thinks, okay, I'm going to give this um, 20 slide deck presentation um, and it's going to take 30 minutes. I'm going to speak for 30 minutes and then I'm going to go off stage and have a cold shower. Um, I think, uh, I think, yeah, that that ability to spot where they can add that extra value in by pinpointing those engagement points might really focus back on their initial challenge of engagement is low. So, okay, well, what can you, what are you doing in the run up as well as on the day? What are you doing in the run up to to help the engagement be as high as you want it to be? Absolutely. I think there's another another benefit from a content standpoint too is you know, as we said, understanding that not everyone's level of comfort with a live a live virtual presentation is the same, having the option to do a mix of different content types that where some might be pre-recorded content that they can watch on some portal or, you know, in some other uh, other means. Some might be content that's recorded or written ahead of time and sent out via email as promotional material. You know, when you're working with a hybrid or virtual event, you really have the option to tap into all kinds of different content formats. It doesn't just have to be live video. It can be pre-recorded, infographics, written content, quizzes, timelines. I mean, there's so many different ways you can bring content to life that's of value for the audience. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And actually, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about format, if you will. So yeah. I kind of we touched on it before about how if, if people were to imagine a virtual event or an online event, it would be either something like this, where it's people talking on a webcam and, and seeing the person's face, or uh, slides, or a mixture of both. That's probably 90% of virtual events that have, that have occurred over this past yeah. year. Um, and I, I feel like maybe there is more to add to this, and it doesn't just have to, to be that way. And I think 
um, like you say, adding those extra formats around it. I, I know, um, I think it was uh, Buffer and Wistia, I think it was, did like an audio only um, virtual event. And I thought that was pretty cool because that could allow people to um, you know, multitask, you know, the way that you listen to podcasts when you're either, you know, out and about, or if, you, if you've got that type of brain that can listen to a podcast and do work, I don't have that capacity at all. I'll just end up no. typing what I'm listening to and it's, yep. that's no good for anyone. Um, I just thought that was, a, that was a really good, fresh approach. I don't have any insight into how successful that was, but being someone who's in, you know, interested in virtual events, online events in the industry, I thought that was a really novel approach to something where, you know, you are, like you talked about, we are competing with everything else that's at home including the oh, fridge. Yeah. You didn't mention the fridge, but it's always competing <laughs> it's with the fridge. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big one that's always there. And um, I thought that, yeah, I thought that audio only approach was, was really interesting and it was live, you know, they, they um, or if not live, it was kind of scheduled only to be accessible at those certain times. So it wasn't like a podcast where you could just, you know, save it all for later. It was like something that happened in that timely moment. And I thought that was a really yeah, interesting way of, of, ch of changing up the format. Sure, and there's there's also ways to innovate within the live video that we're doing here. So you mentioned there's talking head style, uh, there's sort of the slide or combination. Um, I have seen really innovative, you know, someone doing sort of a live cooking show as part of a, an mm. intermission or, or a break. I've seen musicians come in and play during, again, during an intermission or a transition period of an event where you're just sort of watching a live concert. Um, a speaker friend of mine, Andrew Davis, has developed this ingenious thing where he's got a clear plexiglass in front of him and he's got the camera reversed so that he can write on um. the plexiglass and it appears for the, you know, so he can move over and right here and he's got, you know, all the text on the screen, sort of like a whiteboard, like he's teaching in, in class or something. Yeah. And so these kinds of innovations can be, uh, you know, they can be really valuable. It's a, it's a way to keep people's attention, to surprise them, to try new things, because uh, just as you are trying to figure out how to keep faces in a rectangle exciting, uh, <laughs> your audience is trying to figure out how to keep their attention on faces in a rectangle. So the more we can try new things and experiment, I think the, the more likely we are to, to catch and keep our audience's attention. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that from that example. It's like a really low tech solution to some, to a high tech, uh, scenario. I love that. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. Um, I'll make a note to myself for next time. I just have to improve my handwriting. I think otherwise <laughs> it just won't be legible for anyone. Um, it's true. <laughs> something that goes maybe hand in hand with the format is some of the kind of the interaction tools that get used. So, you know, we yeah. see um, polls, uh, you know, to the start of this, I mentioned the kind of the, the social, the sentiment reaction pieces, the question boxes. Um, one thing that I've kind of talked to a few people about, but never really seen, but I thought would be pretty cool is like the, do you remember the choose your own adventure books where you had like a, a certain path. It's like, do you want to run away from the dragon or yeah. fight the dragon, go to page 10 or page page 92? I feel like yeah. that would be, that'd be a really cool and engaging way to do a presentation. If you've got a slide deck that can go three or four different ways or, or three or four different ways of getting through the same slides, I think, feel like that would be really engaging for the audience. That would be really interesting. I haven't seen anyone try that as sort mm. of like a multi-track within the same presentation, <laughs> yeah. but I think that's kind of a, a really cool approach. 
And, you know, I think there's just, there's so many, so many creative things you can do to, to try to spice things up a little bit using the tools that you have. I mean, one of the things that has worked really well, at least in my experience, is giving the audience explicitly a proxy for applause because audiences are used to clapping and responding when they like things, right? So giving them whatever that prompt is, whether you tell them to, I've seen people say type exclamation points in a chat function or, you know, use a specific emoji reaction, you know, use the thumbs up if you're clapping or the clapping emoji or something like that. Um, I think it, it's helpful for the audience to be told exactly how to respond. And I think at least the seasoned speakers, you know that on stage, that if you're going to ask a question of the audience, you need to tell them how to respond. Because if you say something like, who has experienced this? You'll hear some sporadic claps and some people will raise their hand and some guy over there is going to go, me! You know, it's just like all mixed reactions. So you have to say, by a round of applause or by a show of hands, how many of you have experienced this? So we want to adapt that same behavior for a virtual environment to say, you know, I'm telling you how to respond. I'm telling you how to engage. Um, because again, our audience may not be as familiar with all the tools that, that we're used to using and, and, you know, presenting our events in either. So I find that the best tip that I have found for growing engagement is to always explicitly tell uh, our virtual audiences how they can interact. Um, whether that's, again, you know, using a polling tool, uh, throwing throwing something in a chat, using reaction uh, emojis, just giving them a, an explicit instruction on how they can be a part of the experience. Yeah, I love that. I love the, the direction piece. Um, that's cool. So note to everyone that's watching now, please hit the, the thumbs up. If you're liking what we're hearing, there's the, there's the direction. That's what you need to do. Um, something that actually from reading the uh, content fuel framework was around quizzes. Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like that is a pretty, pretty uh, engaging way, an element that you could probably apply to online events. Um, so yeah, there must be kind of some great ways to, to use those, I think. Absolutely. And the polling tool is a really good proxy for, you know, what might be a longer quiz in a different environment. So um, you can use this to tease future information. So you could do something like, um, you know, what percent of people do you think responded, you know, yes to this question? Or, you know, what do you think is the average percentage of renters who renew their lease or whatever kind of data point you're trying to guess? Have the, Give them a couple options and see how close they are. Um, you know, and that gives you that, well, you're not going to believe this, but it's actually much higher. It's the highest option there. You know, you can kind of get them engaged in the content itself. Um, but you can also use that to gather information about the audience too. So you see this oftentimes at the beginning where, uh, you know, a host or a moderator will ask people to share where they're joining from. That's a really good way to get, you know, get people using the tools, get them engaged, uh, get them connecting with one another. Oh, you're just an hour from me or, oh, I love that city. You know, they, they kind of <laughs> chat amongst themselves. Um, but you can also use it to, to guess information going forward. So you mentioned the sort of multi-track approach. You could ask, tell me which of these most closely fits your job title. And so understanding if people are C-level or directors or, you know, entry level could help tailor your, you know, the content uh, that the speaker uses throughout understanding people's level of understanding. So, you know, getting to, to gather some of that information in a quiz style poll, uh, it's a good way to, to tailor your content in real time to make sure it's best suited for the audience. Yo, yeah, I like that. So you're, you're curating the content as, as you go in. 
Osprey. Yeah, well, I mean, and not not a full overhaul, but, you know, understanding how familiar are you with this topic, if they all say yes, well, maybe you don't need to explain as many definitions, right? Because you, you assume people know the, langu the language and the lingo. Um, but if you see that there's a, a very low level of familiarity, well, maybe you want to expand on some of those acronyms that you were just going to, gonna you know, glaze right on by, you know, understanding your audience needs a bit more there. So I found that to be incredibly helpful. Uh, you might also ask what industry they're in, if there's going to be variants, because that can help inform what which specific examples you use, um, so, you know, that can make it more familiar for them. So as long as you're prepared for that kind of thing in advance and you've got multiple uh, options to draw on, you know, your sort of multi-track talk in your head uh, that your speakers have, then I think it, it makes for a, a good amount of customization for the audience that shows up there on the day. Yeah, yeah, I guess it, it's bouncing off the, okay, if you're going to ask the, the audience for that engagement and you're, you're challenging them to be engaged, then they need to, right back to your very first point, they need to see the value from it. Otherwise, yeah, why, what's in it for them, I suppose, and, and getting that tailored content, getting something that is unique to them, um, more than perhaps from reading a blog post, which you know, can't change based on, on the user, that's, right. yeah, that's, a, that's a good way of doing it. Um, one, of, one of the other things I always advise people against is sometimes people will try to create engagement early on by asking technical questions. So can you hear me? Can you see me? Um, those kinds of things, what they tend to do is sort of undermine their trust, right? We know we've tested these systems. We're ready to go. As event organizers, we want to present confidence in our ability to, to host this online or hybrid event. And so asking these other kinds of questions that we're talking about or using a poll or the emoji reactions versus defaulting to the technical stuff uh, allows you not only to create greater, greater engagement, but also to to really project confidence in the tools that you're using. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's such a good way. Um, well, it's such a good way to lose people, isn't it? Like, oh, okay, right, we're not even going to get started with the with the content and and something that uh, I was listening to um, a, a podcast interview. Um, it was with uh, Jay Kunzo and um, Caitlin from uh, Customer Camp, and and they were talking about the the format of podcasts um, and how. You know, people don't necessarily want the long introductions of the guest speaker and, you know, tell me about what you were doing 10 years ago and bring us up to date. It's like people aren't tuning in to the podcast for that reason. They're, they're tuning in for the in, that new insight, that new conversation that's happening between two people that haven't spoken before and kind of cutting to the chase, getting in there. And, yeah, I mean, there's no reason why that just should not apply to, you know, a one person, a one way kind of online presentation, you know, cut out the, um, that checking, that small talk maybe, uh, and kind of, yeah, get to why people are, are there. Yeah. Now, one thing that um, kind of in, in preparation for, for today's episode and our conversation was a piece around brand storytelling uh, versus a thinly veiled sales pitch. Um, yeah. I said that with a bit of a sigh. I'm just thinking back to some of the um, in-person events that I've been to where I've seen um, a, kind of a, a personality, if you like, or someone that um, kind of I follow on, on Twitter or, or, or something like that. And I've been to the thing and I've had really high hopes. The title of the session is speaking straight to me. And then after five minutes, it's a feature rundown. And it's like, oh, no, this yeah. is... This is not what I signed up for. It'd be great to hear some of your thoughts on around how to craft that brand story and, and balance it because you know virtual events aren't 
just about content and, and engagement. Yeah. The, you know, for the end goal, some of it is lead generation and it's of kind of making those work together. So yeah, some thoughts from, from yourself on that would be really interesting to hear. Definitely. Well, and this is something where uh, my recommendation, again, it comes back to the journalism background that I'm, that I'm bringing here, is to ask what you can teach your audience. Um, the example that you just, uh, you know, you, you just laid out is exactly that. You were expecting to learn something and instead you were sold to. And so I think that's generally people's expectation is to learn something. That's why they're yeah. here. They want to learn something. And so if what you can do is ask yourself, well, what can we teach our audience during this session? That might B, you know, here's the data we've gathered. Here's what we can tell you about how to use the tool efficiently. Or, you know, here's uh, some some tutorial for maybe a process that many people find difficult. As long as you're adding some value and they're learning something, then it's okay for the brand to have a presence there. You know, I, I always remind people we engage with brands for instructional content all the time. We read the the instruction manuals. We go to forums to troubleshoot our products. Um, you know, people people are proud of the brands they work with. You know, you don't flip over. A, a box of cake mix and wonder if you can trust the instructions on the back, <laughs> right? The, the key is it just has to be instructional within the brand's area of authority. Is this something the brand is qualified to be teaching me about? And if so, then I'm, I have something to learn and I, I'm ready to listen. So I think that's, that's a question for, you know, on the branded side, if you're trying to create more branded sessions or, you know, maybe you're working with other sponsors or partners on their, their more branded sessions to really ask, what will you be teaching our audience versus what will you be uh, presenting to our audience? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point around that instructional point of view and yeah when you're buying physical products and you're learning how to do something take something apart put something together yeah, of course you trust where who it's coming from um yeah. one i'm just uh, looking at the time and i can see quite a number of questions coming through but i just wanted to ask this one point because it, it really ties into some of the work and um the messages that um that you and ross at, at foundation marketing put out around content distribution and yeah. I've kind of got a, li a little bugbear around that there's so much more data available to people that uh, run and host, create online events. They can really see in detail who's attending which session. Um, you know, some platforms let you see if they've got the content on the front of the browser or if it's hidden way behind Spotify or something else. And it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's playing, but it's not being, it's not being engaged with. You've got, you know, and you can slice all that data by whatever you've collected at the registration forms, or even pre that you can see what channel they came to your reg page from, what they filled in on the reg form, and then what they've done on your event. There's so much information and data there, and I get it can be overwhelming, but I'm yet to see some great follow-up other than segmenting you attended and you didn't attend and sending them the recordings, which definitely value in that. And some people don't necessarily do that too well, but there must be such an amazing way to engage your audience with the content that you've just spent hours prepping for. You've just done a whole great big show, online event, and then it just feel like the, the, the follow-up. You've got the content that's there and you've got the data, which everyone, you know, that's the value that some people see from that. And I just feel like it, it's really missing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, if sometimes, at least on the audience side, it can feel like it came to a screeching halt, like the event ended and then you never hear from them again. Or you get something, you know, three weeks later uh, from a sponsor or, you know, someone else associated. You're like, how did you get my email? Uh, you know, and someone else is owning that follow-up conversation, which you don't want. Uh, I think this is, again, an opportunity to, to talk to your speakers and, and look at who's presenting and ask what kind of follow-up content can they create. 
I mean, imagine an environment where you went to someone's session and then a week later you receive, hey, here's a here's a helpful worksheet or a guide or a checklist uh, from that speaker you saw on Monday morning. Uh, and then another week later it says, hey, you know, you went to such and such session uh, on this topic. Well, here's a, a free trial from, you know, that provider so you can test it out yourself. And another week later, you went to this session. Well, did you know this person has a whole YouTube channel full of other tutorials like that? You know, you might check out their channel here. There's a lot of opportunity to serve up other or related content once you know what people are interested in and what they're attending. Um, my advice would be to, to, if you have the data, to really sync that up with uh, not just that they attended it, but that they stayed, that they were present, whether they participated, if they rated it highly or poorly. Because um, obviously if someone came to a session and then left in one minute because they clicked it accidentally, then they won't understand the context you're sharing. Um, and of course, you know, if they went and rated it very poorly, then you probably don't want to remind them of that. Um, <laughs> but in most cases, I think when we know someone has taking the time out of their day to, to come to a session, they're fairly interested in that topic. And so serving them up related content, whether it's ours or someone else's, is a really good way to keep that relationship going. Yeah, that, that's so true. And your first point there, your first answer was around creating a checklist. And that goes straight back to what you're trying to teach someone. They're looking to be instructional and being able to then give someone the tools to do that because that from a physical event and for from from my point of view is that you go to a, an event and sometimes you can feel really inspired and then it's almost a race back to the office where you can put it into practice but yeah providing that follow-up from maybe it is the speaker maybe it's not the brand that's hosting the event maybe it is the speaker that that you've got on and it's their yeah. value that, that you're kind of sending out to the to the audience yeah i love that yeah, definitely. I think that's that's probably one of the, the biggest opportunities is to think it's not just my content. Whose credibility can I borrow by sharing their content as well? Um, it's, a, it's a really big opportunity, it, you know, just like you would in a newsletter sharing interesting articles or interesting stats or, you know, hey, you might check out this video or this podcast episode. It seems really relevant to to what we do. I mean, doing that same that same thing, curating related content for an audience that has already shown you they're highly engaged in a topic is a way for them to continue to see you as someone who can educate them, as someone who has, you know, expressing thought leadership in the space, as someone who's an authority on this topic, and as someone they can trust to help them troubleshoot future problems about this industry, this product, this service in the future. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you got the speaker for a reason. That's kind of play on that trust that they that they have brought to your event, perhaps yeah. on that value. Okay, um, that's great, and I can see that we've got some questions panning through. So I've got one eye on the time. So yeah, I'd love to jump into some of the questions, uh, Melanie. Right. So let's have a look here. Um, okay, great. So this one is from Anna. Uh, I really like the point you make about helping to design the slides. Uh, that could be really helpful for us. We work with academics in public engagement. Do you have any tips on creating that really accessible and engaging content where levels of expertise will differ significantly? Mm, so one of the things that I have found really helpful in working with academics, and I'm guilty of this myself sometimes as a professor, uh, is to ask them to explain it to you. And you can do this in your um, your 
you know, test session or when you're discussing topics, uh, explain it to you as if you were five years old or as if you were your grandmother or as if you were <laughs> someone from a totally different industry. Like explain this to me as if I were, you know, a farmer in rural Nebraska, like someone who just comes from a totally different life experience or age bracket. And that kind of forces people to to really simplify, right? Because they have to understand at that point, this person, because of their age or the industry that they're in, they don't know all this jargon. They don't know what it means. So I have to explain everything more explicitly. And I found that to be a really useful exercise for simplifying, um, you know, simplifying the amount of information and simplifying uh, the level of detail when that's necessary, you know, if it's too technical for your audience. Um, but now that you know that you have the opportunity to send follow-up content, uh, that may be an opportunity as well to, to share with them and say, it sounds like you're trying to fit a lot into this presentation, which I appreciate. Um, but I think it might be too much for our audience. Why don't we take that study you did and we'll use that as a follow-up. That way you could focus on just the results in this particular session. You know, you're giving them that opportunity to share uh, some of that information in a different form so that they don't have to rush through everything. Yeah, you've, you've got the, again, you've got the, the, the data, you know, the basics of a, an email address and you've got that, doesn't have to be a one-stop, bang, here's all the information, yeah. um, good luck consuming it all. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the extra, extra bits that you can do. Okay, yeah. that's, that's great. Um, okay, this one, this is from Joe. Um, okay, so how do you get your, and this is in inverted uh, commas, old-timer presenters, to make the content more interesting, uh, interaction with delegates on virtual events. Mm, that can be a tough one. So I think the, the first step is to understand, I mean, and this is, I guess this is more psychology than event, uh, event planning, but bear with me. Mm -hmm. I think the first step is really to try in your interactions with them to understand, is it a lack of technology? Like, is it that they feel challenged in using the services or using the tools? Is it a lack of, uh, of understanding in that they didn't even know that that was an option or something they should be doing? Uh, or is it, is it sort of a, a fear of some kind? Is it like a fear of inadequacy or uh, I'm just not comfortable with this or I'm just grumpy because I thought I was going to get tenure and retire and now I've got to learn how all these tools work. Um, I think sometimes if you can unpack that a little bit earlier on, it'll help make it easier for you to solve for it. Um, because if it is a, a lack of familiarity with tools, you can offer training sessions. You can share a, a tutorial. You could pair them up with a, you know, a showrunner who's going to produce their segment and handle some of the more technical aspects of it. Um, if it's a lack of, of awareness, you could just say, hey, here's some ideas of what's worked really well for engagement in the past. Doing a poll, creating a prompt for the chat, you know, using our asking people to react with a specific emoji, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that, I mean, that's one option. The other thing you can do at the end of the day is if they're not as comfortable in this environment, sometimes the best way to take a subject matter expert and help them get comfortable in a new context is to pair them with someone else. So that might be a moderator, a host, a colleague of theirs who can ask them questions that lets their expertise shine so that we're not forcing them to share their knowledge in a way that won't help them and won't help your audience. So I've seen a lot of benefit in turning some of those, those uh, old timer sessions as you called them, into more Q&As or more dynamic conversations. Uh, so we're not forcing something that's not going to work out as well for the audience, but we're still letting that expert share their knowledge and shine. Yeah, that's a great answer. It's, it's being mindful of both parties, I suppose. It's the, the audience that maybe want the interaction and the presenters and you know, everyone's got limits at some point. So yeah, I like, yeah. I like that. Okay, cool. Um, what I've got here. So we've got quite a lot around the engagement. Oh, here's one. So um 
So this is from Daniel. So the most frustrating challenge is improving the percentage of people who register and actually attend. How, how do you think content can help? So yeah, there's a, that's a persistent question, even in, in, in person events, right? I mean, yeah. I, I remember, you know, when I was working in New York, every time we'd host a professional event, we assumed like one half, if we were lucky of the registrants would show up, you know? Um, so I think maybe it's different when there's a, there's a price attached to it. So that's not always the right strategy, but I will say I have seen from the partners I've worked with that, um, free registrations or free events tend to tend to have more of that. Cause it's, I'll just sign up. What the heck, even if I don't go, who cares? It was no money, you know? So even just a small barrier to entry, five, $10 or something makes people have like a little more skin in the game. They're more likely to show up. Um, We've also had good luck with something exclusive that only happens live. So that might be a giveaway. It might be, um, you know, some sort of experience that you can only do or, or benefit you can only receive if you're there live. Um, and that's like a tangible benefit, right? Like a giveaway or an entry into a contest or, you know, something something like that. And the other thing is letting people know when it's when it's possible and when it makes sense strategically that there won't be a replay that, you know, this is not one of those things you sign up for and you can just watch whenever. Even putting some scarcity around the replay and saying the replay is only valid for 24 hours. I think at that point you get people to make a hard decision of am I really going to do this and be engaged or is this just not something I can commit to? Um, so I think, you know, some of those those strategies I've seen work pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, it's not a unique to virtual events challenge that one is it it's maybe it's maybe has been a bit more prevalent because it's it's maybe easier to back out yeah. something that that is a click away i mean Great. one tactical tip too I, I don't see many people doing this and i'm not sure why is uh including like an add to calendar option um, so a lot of events, you know, you're sending me reminders, you're telling me here's where I can join, here's my link. Um, but somewhere using a third party or, or something, uh, create a, an easy click option that lets people add that to their calendar so that they're getting, you know, whatever form of reminders, emails, pop-ups are, you know, are already part of their system of operation. So I'm not, not sure the best tools to be doing that, but, you know, making it easy for people to add it to their calendar so they don't forget. Yeah, that makes sense. And something that we've we started doing for, well, for Unmuted as well, the, the standard reminders would be, um, you know, 24 hours before and an hour before, um, but we started adding in a, it's live now email. Mm -hmm. You know, how many times, even just with meetings, do you get five past the hour and think, oh man, I've forgotten it's the meeting and you're sorry I'm late. So it's yeah. not necessarily an intentional That's missing true. of the event. It's so yeah, maybe there's, there's something else because yeah, for a physical event, that wouldn't work. We're starting now. Oh, I've, I'm not on the plane, so I've missed it. But for, <laughs> for virtual events, yeah, it's, you're likely to be catching someone at a time that they, they can join. Um, got an eye on the time, Melanie. So I think mm -hmm. maybe there's some of these questions that we can come back to on email. Um, and I feel like some of them might have been covered off in our session today anyway. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you. That is like, that's so great. And uh, I can imagine we'll be uh, hopefully chatting a bit more around kind of producing content and yeah. scrib uh, scribbling away notes for some of the stuff that we're working on. So yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us for the first episode. It's been great. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, letting me share my story and, and kicking off the series with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unmuted. If you liked it, we have plenty more that cover so many different topics around running better online events, each with a different expert from the marketing and events world. Or 
you can head over to unmuted-show.com to watch the full video series version and get the most out of this content. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the series, so please give us a follow on social at unmuted underscore show and send your thoughts our way. Hope to see you all on the next episode.